Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Welcome to today's episode of Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to dive into heart failure. If you've listened to the episode on circulatory pathway of the blood through the heart, or you feel proficient with this information, you're ready to learn heart failure. I feel strongly that you need the foundational framework of knowing the circulatory pathway so that you can really understand why heart failure results in the symptoms it presents with. We're going to break down heart failure into left-sided versus right-sided. We'll spend the majority of the time talking about left-sided heart failure and touch on right-sided heart failure after. For the purpose of this podcast, we are going to primarily think of left-sided heart failure as systolic heart failure. Systolic, or systole, refers to the squeeze of the ventricles. We will be focusing on the strength of the left ventricle and its ability or lack of ability to pump blood sufficiently. Let's start with a basic summarization of heart failure. Heart failure is a syndrome or a disease process that occurs when there is damage to the heart muscle, also known as the myocardium. This injury results in a decreased function or work capacity of the left ventricle specifically. Systolic heart failure refers to the decrease in strength of the left ventricle to effectively pump oxygenated blood to the rest of the body. This equates to decreased cardiac output. Cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate. When we reduce the stroke volume or the amount of blood ejected from the left ventricle during one squeeze, we alter the equation and decreased cardiac output is a result. The left ventricle never ejects 100% of its volume. Normal ejection fraction is 60 to 65%, and this is measured via echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. Systolic heart failure is defined as an ejection fraction less than 40%. So now that we know that a patient with systolic heart failure has decreased left ventricle function, which again is poor squeeze, resulting in decreased cardiac output, a decreased forward circulation of blood, leading to decreased delivery of oxygenated blood to tissue and organs. Let's dive into the symptoms that can arise from left-sided heart failure. When blood isn't moving forward efficiently, it's going to back up. I always like to paint the picture of a drain for my students. If you have buildup of gunk in your drain, the water doesn't flow easily. You're brushing your teeth or washing your face, and you look down and see a sink full of water. This is what happens during heart failure, but... Where does the fluid go? This is why understanding the circulatory system is so, so important. When blood is poorly ejected from the left ventricle, it backs up into the left atrium, to the pulmonary vasculature, to the lungs, then to the right ventricle, the right atrium, and ultimately to the peripheral. Why do we need to know this? Well, now you understand why a patient in left-sided heart failure experiences shortness of breath, a productive cough, which usually results in white frothy sputum or even blood-tinged sputum, or thopnea, which is difficulty lying flat. They can even 
describe PND, which stands for proxismal nocturnal dyspnea. This is described as a sensation of breathlessness, and patients will feel like they need to sit up to catch their breath. Other symptoms include wheezing, exertional dyspnea, crackles in the lungs from fluid accumulation, restlessness from feeling of not being able to catch their breath, confusion from hypoxia, cyanosis, decreased tissue perfusion, especially to the kidneys, weight gain from fluid retention, which is influenced by a neurohormonal activation in the kidneys to reabsorb and hold on to sodium and water. When assessing your patients, you may even notice extra heart sounds. S1 and S2 are normal heart sounds. S1 occurs during systole, when the tricuspid and mitral valves close and the pulmonic and aortic valves open to allow the ventricles to squeeze and move blood forward. S2 occurs when the aortic and the pulmonic valve closes, while the tricuspid and mitral valve open to allow for filling of the ventricles during diastole. S3 is a heart sound that is an early indication of heart failure exacerbation, which occurs very quickly after S2 during diastole. You can hear it by saying, Kentucky, Kentucky. The heart sounds with the extra S3 have the same cadence, Kentucky, Kentucky. For the sake of reviewing in depth, I want to jump back to what I said earlier and that there are two types of left-sided heart failure, systolic, which is what we just discussed, and diastolic heart failure, also referred to as HEFPEF, or heart failure preserved EF. With diastolic heart failure, the left ventricle becomes stiff, creating a situation where when the heart relaxes to fill during diastole, it cannot relax all the way. This results in a decrease of end diastolic volume. Systolic heart function is preserved, but if we think back to our trusty old equation of cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate, we again are decreasing cardiac output during HEFPEF or heart failure preserved EF, also known as diastolic heart failure. The left ventricle still has the inability to circulate adequate amounts of blood due to a decrease in stroke volume. Essentially, blood is not moving forward efficiently, and the same symptoms of systolic heart failure can occur with diastolic heart failure. Now that we have a better understanding of left-sided heart failure, we can move on to right-sided heart failure. As left-sided heart failure progresses, it can lead to right-sided heart failure. Fluid backs up from the left side of the heart to the lungs, then to the right ventricle and right atrium, and ultimately to the periphery. Right-sided heart failure, which can also be referred to as core pulmonale, meaning decreased function of the right ventricle, can also be caused by pulmonary hypertension. Pulmonary hypertension is increased pressure in the pulmonary arteries, causing the right ventricle to fail. We see this often in patients who have underlying lung disease, such as COPD, due to high thoracic pressures on the right ventricle. Pulmonary embolism, or blood clot in the lungs, can also cause core pulmonale, or right ventricle failure, due to high filling pressures in the RV, because blood can't circulate as easily through the lungs for gas exchange due to a blood clot being present. This ultimately can lead to symptoms of right-sided heart failure. Let's talk about symptoms of right-sided heart failure. Right-sided heart failure occurs before the blood circulates to the lungs and left side of the heart, so you want to remember the circulatory pathway when thinking of manifested symptoms. Blood backs up from the right ventricle to the right atrium and then peripherally, so you see symptoms such as JVD, or jugular vein distension, peripheral edema, ascites, or fluid accumulation in the peritoneal or abdominal cavity. This is caused by an increased pressure on the hepatic veins. You see weight gain, enlarged liver or spleen, 
you see fatigue, and you can also see GI upset, which can lead to anorexia. Now that we understand both left-sided and right-sided heart failure and the symptoms that can be manifested, let's discuss what can cause or aid in the development of cardiomyopathy, also known as heart failure. First, coronary artery disease, which is caused by plaque accumulation of the coronary arteries or arteries that supply blood to the heart, can lead to heart failure. When plaque accumulation occurs to the point of decreased oxygen delivery to the myocardium, it can lead to tissue death or necrosis. Necrosis can also be caused by a thrombus or a clot in the coronary arteries, which also blocks oxygen delivery to the tissue. This oxygen deprivation and the tissue death cause the left ventricle muscle to contract in an abnormal fashion, a cardiomyopathy, leading to decreased left ventricle ejection fraction. Long-term uncontrolled hypertension can also be a cause for systolic heart failure. This can occur through different mechanisms. The first is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and what that means is the left ventricle over time hypertrophies or becomes enlarged and bulky from years of having to overcome elevated systemic vascular resistance. When the left ventricle becomes thick, it loses its ability to contract because it's stiff. Think of it like a bodybuilder. Years and years and years of heavy lifting and their muscles become bulky. They're strong, but not agile, so they can't move effectively. That's exactly how hypertrophic cardiomyopathy affects the left ventricle. Hypertension can also lead to dilated cardiomyopathy. This is caused by overstretching of the left ventricle in efforts to create enough force to eject blood efficiently from the left ventricle. This is referred to as Frank Starling curve. If you think about the left ventricle as a rubber band that you pull back and when you release it, it will snap back with great force. This is your left ventricle during diastole and systole. But over time, you stretch the rubber band back further and further and further to create the same force when you let go and it will stretch out and lose its elasticity. This is the picture I like to paint for my students when they think of dilated cardiomyopathy. In addition to coronary artery disease or long-standing hypertension, there are other things that can affect or aid in the development of cardiomyopathy or heart failure. Fabular heart disease, genetic disorders, congenital abnormalities, infections such as viral myocarditis are all things that can lead to heart failure. Metabolic disorders including diabetes and hyperthyroidism can also cause cardiomyopathies. Another thing we don't think about often is toxins such as chemotherapy, radiation, alcoholism, or even illicit drug use can all affect the heart's ability to squeeze effectively and efficiently. There's a ton of information in today's podcast, and I hope this has helped to clarify questions you may have had regarding heart failure. Heart failure is a complex disease, and I could go on and on about it, but this should provide a foundational framework of understanding for you. If there are specific things that you would love to learn more about in regards to heart failure, you can reach me on Instagram with the handle Let's Review RN. You can definitely leave me a message. Please, I love to hear from you. Let me know what I can bring to you for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.